I drove up to Oregon this week with my mom, and uh, we spent about 15 hours in a car together. And so uh, lots of conversations, um, lots of storytelling. And I was reminded of some of the stories that have really shaped our family and our household um, and over generations. One, one kind of famous one that she quotes her, her dad a lot. Is, and he would say, he, he, her dad never finished high school. He was a truck driver and he worked really, really hard to provide for their family. And, and he would say to my mom and her sisters growing up, you know, Robin, you can have anything you want. You just can't have everything. Um, and that's been a story that we've heard over and over and over again that's kind of shaped some of our imagination about life and gratitude and wisdom. Um, Another story that she told uh, and reminded me of this week was we were, she was talking about her dad's upbringing. He was born in 1925 here in Los Angeles, grew up with um, a few brothers and a sister, um, grew up in a very diverse neighborhood, and uh, grew up with a mom who was not always the kindest, um, could be really mean, actually, um, was fun and energetic and could be very mean. And so we would hear stories about how my grandfather and his siblings grew up with his mom, and um, stories also about their neighborhood. Um, and there was a woman named Rosie who was one of their neighbors, African-American woman who was very close with their family, and this is in the 1930s, 1940s. And as the story goes, one day my grandpa's mom, my great-grandma, was really upset with him and his brothers, and so she took him outside and she tied him up to a, a clothesline and told him just to stay there and not move. Now, many of us have been tempted to do that, maybe even been close to doing that. Um, I don't know if we've done that. Um, and as the story goes, Rosie saw what was going on, and Rosie, without my great-grandma knowing, snuck into the backyard, untied the boys, um, and took them over to her house and gave them something to eat. Um, and all the siblings stayed in close, close connection with Rosie um, her, their entire life until she, until she died. And I, I was struck by that story because throughout generations, neighborliness and hospitality has been a huge piece of our family story. So much so that this weekend, or this week when I was in Oregon, my mom talked about holding a neighborhood um, open house in this new place that she's at. Um, and then my brother, disconnected from that story, talked about he and his wife planning an open house in their neighborhood um, in the next few months. And I was just struck by the, the reality that our stories and our practices shape our virtue. They shape the way we live. Um, and when I look at this story, I, I hear this playing out, and I want to point this out, or show, kind of open this up for us in a little bit. The reality that our stories and our narratives linked with kind of the way we live our life every day shapes the character um, of who we are. Um, and so stories like Rosie, who generations ago offered hospitality, um, became a story and a narrative um, that shaped the, the virtue and character of my family um, to this day. There's a couple stories that are behind this story, I think. And they're from the Old Testament. One's in Genesis. It starts with God's amazing and generous and beautiful creation. Adam and Eve um, are created. 
they are connected to all of creation to the point where they get to name the animals and the plants and live in harmony together. And as we all know, they end up getting kicked out of the garden for not honoring that connectivity. And they have children, Cain and Abel. Um, Cain is a gardener. Abel is a sheep herder, a nomad. And one day, both of them bring offerings to God, their first fruits. And God accepts Abel's and does not accept Cain's. And we're not really told why that's the case, but we're just told that it happens. Cain gets upset, and so he takes his brother Abel out to the field, and he kills him. Maybe they should have tied him up to a clothesline instead. I don't know. Maybe they did, and that's why that happened. I don't know. Um, but he kills him. Um, and the story is often told that it's about jealousy, and certainly that's at play. But some scholars also want to indicate that their, their professions actually had something to do with this. Um, farmers, those who raise plants, must, must build fences around them to protect them. Um, the Ritzaws coached us in some, planting some fruit trees years ago, and every year we have not protected them, and every year we have had very little harvest um, because of it. Um, sheep herders move around, they're nomadic, and they move from place to place, wherever their animals can be fed. Um, the land is not theirs, and yet it is theirs. The land is not um, yours, and yet it is yours. It's this very open um, lifestyle. And so after Cain kills Abel, God comes to him and says, where's Abel? And Cain says the famous line, am I my brother's keeper? And there's no response from God. He just leaves that hanging, that question. Um, but then ends up saying, Abel's blood cries out to me from the ground, from the land. And it's this story of connectedness. Um, the second story I want us to hold as we, when we look back into this passage is the story of Pharaoh and Joseph. Pharaoh has dreams, doesn't know what they mean. Joseph is called because he knows how to understand and interpret dreams to him. And he says, hey, that dream you just had, what that means is for seven years, you're going to have huge harvest. Huge. Um, and then after that, seven years, you're going to have famine. So what you need to do is build some storehouses so you can store the extra harvest. And then in those seven years of famine, you'll have enough to not only provide for you, but all your people, and you'll be the leader, the deliverer that God has called you to be. Um, and the story goes on that indeed Pharaoh builds these storehouses, reaps all this harvest, and then throughout generations, rather than using that to provide for the people under his watch, he uses that to take their possessions and take their land to the point that God's people are enslaved in, in Egypt under Pharaoh. So let's look at this story. Oh, I meant to have that up, sorry. With those, th those things in mind. Someone from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. 
Jesus said to him, man, who appointed me as judge or referee between you and your brother? Jesus said to them, watch out. Guard yourself against all kinds of greed. After all, one's life isn't determined by one's possessions, even when someone is very wealthy. You can hear in the background the story of two brothers um, disconnected. Yet their story is a part of a much larger story of abundance and generosity and sharing. Jesus goes on and he tells this parable. He says, a certain rich man's land produced a bountiful crop. He said to himself, what will I do? I have no place to store my harvest. Then he thought, here's what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. That's where I'll store all my grain and goods. I'll say to myself, you have stored up plenty of goods, enough for several years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, enjoy yourself. But God said to him, fool, tonight you will die. Now who will get the things you have prepared for yourself? You can, you can feel the, the story of Pharaoh and, and Joseph behind this narrative. Um, and this is a story, again, captured in this in, incredible story of giftedness. That God has gifted us with the creation. That God gifts us with harvest. And plenty, and yet it's a tale or a warning about living according to a different story, practicing according to different narratives that easily come up um, in all of us. Does that make sense? So, this rich man, his land produced a bountiful crop. In our house, we have this huge avocado tree. Most years, we get this bountiful crop. Um, it would be crazy for me to take any responsibility in that tree producing this bountiful crop that we get. Because the reality is, we do nothing. Like, the only thing we've done is stick a, a treehouse in there, which probably didn't help the crop. Um, and then one year when we had lots of rain, we put a little, uh, what's it called, a little... It's just a support to keep it from like falling over and into our house. Um, it is all grace. It is all gift. Um, in this story, this rich man gets a similar gift, similar grace, and he says to himself, what will I do? I have no place to store my harvest. The narrative begins to change right there. Um, now, very appropriate, like Pharaoh, build some barns. There's nothing wrong with building bigger, you know, spaces to hold that which God has given you. Um, if only that's where the narrative stayed, right? Um, he thought, here's what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. That's where I'll st store all my grain and goods. And I'll say to myself, here's where the narrative switch. You've stored up plenty of goods Enough for several years. You've worked hard. Almost you produced this, right? Um, take it easy, eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. And God says, Fool, tonight you will die. The breath 
that you also are given, like this harvest, it'll be taken. Um, now who will get the things you've prepared for yourself? And this is the way it'll be for those who hoard things for themselves and aren't rich toward God. I've been really struck by that phrase, rich toward God. Um, like I've, I've wondered, what? what might that mean? for us to be a community and to be people who live richly toward, toward God. Um, so many times our narratives are, are similar to this, to this man in this parable. Um, we, live, we live in a world, um, in, a, in, a, in a, a part of the world, where a lot of what we think about in terms of our life, we think about in terms of what we've achieved, what we've made happen, right? in terms of what we, we have done and produced. Um, with very little, um, very little kind of uh, consideration of the big picture that plays into whatever it is that we're able to achieve. Um, success is a mystery, right? I mean, we go to our country and, and culture, we go to conferences all over the place to try to learn to how to be a success, right? Um, and if it was easy to be a success at whatever it is that we do, everyone would be one, right? But success is mysterious, and it has all sorts of um, factors that play into whether or not we're able to achieve those things that we want to achieve. Um, uh, Warren Buffett is a billionaire. He, he's like a, people go to him to learn how to be a success. Um, I find a lot of his quotes really grounded and refreshing, though. Um, especially for someone who's one of the wealthiest people in the world. Um, in this quote, he says, I happen to have a talent for allocating capital. But my ability to use that talent is completely dependent on the society I was born into. If I'd been born into a tribe of hunters, this talent of mine would be pretty worthless. Um, I think that's kind of funny. Um, but also really humble and, and points at something that's so true about our, our society, that success is a mystery. Um, it's mysterious how it happens, and a lot of times it happens based on, yes, our hard work and what we do and, and, and put our energies and, and time and efforts into, but also the context in which we find ourselves and the ways that other people are putting their time and energy into their work and how it connects um, with us. So these narratives um, that we're reading here in this parable and in this story, in the face of narratives of hoarding, in the face of narratives of, I got this harvest and now I do all this stuff and it's all about mine, they're couched in these narratives that I want to suggest to us this morning our narratives that we, we're invited into, and that is this. The gospel and the creation stories are narratives of connectedness and narratives of giftedness. They're narratives that say we are all interconnected. All of us, all the people outside of here, the people we work with, live near, um, we're all connected. And they're narratives of giftedness. What you have is gift given to us by God. 
um, to be enjoyed, to be shared, to be used in the interconnected lives that we lead. I was at an ice cream social uh, last week. Our friends, uh, the Guerreros, who are a part of the Mormon church here in town, they do an annual ice cream social. And so they, well, this is the first time we got invited to this, but we showed up. I really didn't know what to expect. And um, we went through the ice cream line, and there was a backyard full of people. And I quickly realized that, oh, most of these people are connected to the Mormon church here in town. Um, and the first thing that struck me was, and I, and I actually thought to myself, huh, I wonder if this is how people who would come upon a mountainside gathering would feel, is I just felt the interconnectedness. And I felt it especially amongst the men. Because unlike many spaces in our culture, these men were so familiar with one another. They were so affectionate with one another. Um, very touchy, even. It was, it was very striking. Um, and it was beautiful. Um, it, because you could tell these, these men have known each other a very, very long time. Um, it was an example of this interconnectedness. I ended up talking with my friend Marcos, who has a son, Luke's age. And his son is an incredibly good soccer player. Like, really good. And he's on this club soccer team that plays many games on Sundays. And so the Guerrero family tells their soccer team, Dante will be at his games, but he won't, he won't be there on the Sunday games because we practice Sabbath. And so every year, multiple tournaments a year, the coach is calling Marcos and the other parents are calling Marcos, hey, I know I respect your worship, I respect your Sabbath, but you know, Sunday's a pretty big game. You know, we could really use Dante in the midfield um, that day. And Marcos goes, I know, I know, but this is, this is what we do. And he, and he said, you know, we're, we're building a foundation with our kids that we know someday they'll need to choose or not, but they'll also have a foundation that's easy to come back to if they don't. And so we're going we're gonna to keep, he's not going to play. Well, the word got out that actually Marcos growing up one time was allowed to go to a championship game by his parents. So now the team has a little bit of a wild card with Marcos. Like, hey, one day we're going to play that wild card and Dante needs to be there on a Sunday. So he has agreed to that. Um, I said to Marcos, I'm like, what do you do on Sundays? If you don't, if you don't, do any activities like that what what do you do he says well we worship um they worship it got shrunk just now from three hours to two hours he told me i guess some of the parents use that against him too hey we heard the mormons now only worship three hours instead or two hours instead of three you think dante could come play for an hour um he said but we worship for a couple hours and then we we go home and i'm like you just sit at home all day what, what do you do he's like Oh, no, my kids would drive me crazy if we just sat at home all day. And I said, okay, these are real people. Good. I feel good about this. Um, he says, we'll go for a walk. We'll play games. And then it just rolled off his tongue like this was no big, big deal at all. He said, we'll go visit. We'll walk to people in our church who are elderly's house. Or we'll walk to shut-in's house. And we'll just visit them. We, just, we do all these things on, on the Sabbath. And I thought, oh, yeah. The Sabbath, it's a story of abundance, of giftedness. God has given us what we need. Rest. Practice it. And practice it in a way that is interconnected. Games and rest and walks and visits. Um, 
the reason we got onto this conversation is because he approached me and said, what are you guys doing with that garden out there? That's amazing. Our whole church is talking about it. I said, oh, really? Okay, cool. Um, he said, we were at our leadership meeting, and we all decided that that is a great idea, and we need to try that. Not, not, to, not to just convert all kinds of people, but just to get neighborliness going. That's just what he said. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, interconnected. Um, some shared vision. Um, Sabbath practices of, or excuse me, um, practices of connectedness and, and giftedness, like Sabbath, like gleaning. Um, the people of God, we're trying to do that here with this garden. They're called to plant and grow their harvest, but to leave the outsides for the refugee, for the wanderer, for the poor, for the neighbor. And so we too, we have this corner that's, I keep telling people, I'm quoting Kristen and Deborah, like, if you need basil, just go on by. It's right there. Um, living richly toward God means living into a different story. And so today to close, what I want to do is, I, I, I wonder, I had a great illustration, Joel. I'm going to come back to that another time. Yeah. Um, what stories do we tell ourselves? Take an inventory of the narratives that you tell yourself. When you look at your home, is it thankfulness? Is it, it's so dirty? Is it, it's so small? Is it, it's not in here or there? And this is not a, this is not a, a time to say, you know, never can you look at your house and go, it's too small, because sometimes it's too small. Or look at your house and go, sometimes it's too expensive. Sometimes it is too expensive. Um, but the inventory, I think, invites us to go, oh, but you know what? It's a home. And we have it. We live there. Um, whether the bank owns it or somebody else owns it or some, the bank owns it for somebody else or, or you own it. Um, what are the narratives we tell ourselves? What are the narratives we, when we see our paycheck? Oh, I'm thankful for this. It makes our life possible. Or is it, I deserve more. You might deserve more. Um, is it, this is too small. It might be too small. But I think we're invited in God, to, to live richly towards God is to, to start with gratitude. You know what? This came today. Um, almost every Sunday, when I, when I walk into this room, used to walk into the basement, there's just this feeling, even on a, on a quiet Sunday like this, like, is anyone going to come today? <laughs> is, it, is the gig up, right? Like, is anyone going to come? And it's so nice to know, no, it's not about me or Sonia or Deborah or Misty or whoever, Tiffany, whoever's been setting up. It's not about that. Um, it's a story of giftedness and connectedness, where we live into the reality that God has called us to be the church. Um, the other questions I, I, I might want, I'd encourage us to ask is, do our practices connect us or isolate us? Do the practices that we live into, and I'm talking about the day-to-day -day stuff, 
How you use your money, does it connect you with others? Towards richness of God? Or does it isolate you? Whether that's saving, 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 or spending, 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 or anywhere in between. But I think the question is, does our use of money connect us or isolate us? Um, our use of technology, does it connect us or does it isolate us? Um, our work patterns, our meal practices, um, to live richly towards God, I think, is to, to open ourselves up to, God, what are the stories running around in my head? And are they the stories of Babylon or the stories of the West and the United States? Or are they stories of your giftedness and connectedness? Um, and what are the practices that I implement, especially the daily ones like money, technology, work, and meals? Do those reveal the stories I'm living and buying into? Um, are there ways I can use those things to connect more with God and, and with one another? Welcome back, kids. The, uh, the passage um, right after this parable that we looked at is... Jesus' invitation to his followers who are very poor. Jesus' invitation to not worry is right after this. Find a seat, kids. In some ways, it's a hard ask to a people who are poor and in need. And in some ways, it's a wonderful promise that we live in a world of abundance and giftedness and connectedness. Um, we come to this table every week. Um, we do this every single week. Um, oftentimes I'll get the question, Josh, I mean, you do it every week. Do you ever think you're going to, like, lose the meaning? Or, like, do you ever think it just becomes, like, ritual for people and the truth of the matter is there probably are weeks where we move to this table out of pattern and practice more than out of some sense of of what it's all about but the pattern and the practice is just as important um, and and reminds us of what it's all about um, also, um, Rob alluded to the, to the table earlier. This is a table that has a story of giftedness. It reminds us that everything we have is a gift. Um, these are very common things, but they're... they're they're common things that remind us of God's abundance and faithfulness. Um, and every Sunday we come to this table because it reminds us of our connectedness to the land, to the food, to one another, and to God. Um, 
So what I want to invite us to do as we come to this table today, um, take an inventory as you come up front. Hang tight with me. Take an inventory. What are the stories running through your mind? Are they maybe like me sometimes? Oh, I'm busy. If I could count how many times I say that throughout a day, like, whoa, what, what, how does that narrative shape me? Um, oh, I'm tired. If only I had dot, dot, dot. Um, and those may be important things to think about, but when they're the narratives that shape our lives, God wants to invite us into something more, um, much richer. Um, that these are gifts of God for the people of God. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, he was with his disciples and he gave thanks, gratitude for the gift. And after doing that, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body that is broken for you. Likewise, after supper, he took the cup and said, this is the cup of the new covenant that is shed for you. And as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death, God's faithfulness to us until he returns. Let's pray. God, living God, we thank you for your giftedness to us. We thank you for the gift of meeting, the gift of worship, the gift of one another, the gift of food, sustenance, and mostly, God, the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, who shows us the way to your kingdom. Um, God, catch us up together as the body of Christ through this practice. Um, fill our hearts with gratitude and joy. God, may we remember as we live and work um, the interconnectedness of this beautiful world that you've made, of which we're a part. Uh, may that be our story. Amen. Amen.